Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20. You ready? All right, here's what the Bible says. It says, when your sons ask you in the time to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statues and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all of his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us to the land which he had sworn to our fathers. And the Lord God commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. The entrance of it brings light and understanding to the simple. It is a light, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Today I pray that the word of God would illuminate, Lord, our footsteps as we go forward from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated this morning. Turn around and smile at somebody and tell them good morning. We know everybody weighs an extra three or four pounds this week. That's okay. Tell them good morning anyway. Hallelujah. We're so glad that you're here. Amen? Well, we're excited that you guys have joined us. We actually counted a privilege and an honor uh, for those of you who are guests uh, with us this morning, whether or not you're just traveling, you're here with family, uh, or you're watching online. Uh, you could have literally went anywhere, tuned on anywhere, so we're grateful um, that you're with us. Um, over the last couple of weeks, we've been studying uh, from the subject of saved. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be born again, to be a child of God? And honestly, we've gone deep into the subject. Our very first week at the beginning of the month, we talked about what does it mean to be saved by grace? Everybody say grace. And so we talked about grace is not only God's unmerited favor, but grace is also divine ability to be able to overcome. And of course, we read from Titus chapter 2 that says, The grace of God which brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness. And so we talked about what does it mean to be saved by grace and how you can't earn salvation. Uh, all the good things in the world that we could do, whether it's build a house for the poor or paint an orphanage for a missionary or give financially to a project, while those things are good in and of themselves, they cannot nor will they ever earn merit with God when it comes to salvation. Why? Because we're not saved by our works, lest anyone should boast. We're saved by grace through faith. Yet, the Bible teaches us that our faith without works is dead, and Ephesians tells us that we've been saved by grace through faith, created for good works. And so the thing that we keyed in on, on week number one, was that grace, when we're truly saved, it changes us and enables us to live different. Now, when we're saved, we don't do good things to be saved. We do good things because we are saved. Amen. Does that make sense to anybody? Literally, our nature has changed. Then Pastor Don Norton came and, and really hit the, the uh, home run out of the park with the rehab of rehab and talked about salvation a little bit more and how it changes us. And, and, uh, and then I came back after that and I talked about saved from hell. 
And last week we talked about the reality of eternal separation with a life without God. That the Bible doesn't just talk about a place called heaven, but the Bible talks about a place called hell. And you don't go to heaven because you're good. That must mean you don't go to hell because you're bad. Uh, What it means is, is that people go to hell who have not accepted the free gift of God's eternal life. What that tells me this morning is, church, and I didn't mean to go here, but I'm going to go here this morning. That tells me that when we get to heaven, there will be people there that will surprise us that they made it. Hallelujah. And if you're unfortunate enough to go to hell, you will get there and find there are some people. People there that you did not think you would have found there because we don't go to heaven because we're good we go to heaven because he was good amen and we accepted the free grace of God's love hallelujah and so we talked about hell and what do we have to do to get away from there and obviously the only thing that satisfies the righteous wrath of God is the blood of Jesus Christ And so last week we gave an opportunity and people came forward to either rededicate or give their life to God. So it's important. And so today, I want to end this on a different note. Last week was so serious, and it's always serious. The Word of God is always serious. But tonight, or this morning rather, I want to end this on a different note from the passage of Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to talk to you from a message entitled, Saved to Celebrate. Saved to Celebrate. To celebrate. I believe our salvation should be celebrated. Amen. I don't know about you, but I believe Christians ought to be the happiest people on planet earth. Now, I believe we've got a lot to shout about. Amen. I believe God's been too good to us to be quiet. I believe he's been too good to us for us to shut up about it. I believe he's been too good to us for us not to tell other people. The truth is God has been good. He's been so good to us. And when you look in the Bible, everybody that Jesus touched, he told. And they went out and they shared it from place to place to place. Whether it was a woman who was healed or a child who was raised or Lazarus who was brought back from the grave. Whenever Jesus touched somebody, there was something about the encounter with God on their life that they could not keep silent. They had to tell the story. Today, that's what we're going to talk about. What does it mean to be saved to celebrate. And so <clears throat> we talked about what we're saved by. We talked about what we've been saved from. And this week we're going to tackle the subject of what is it that we're saved for? What is it that we're saved for? I want to submit to you this morning that you were not saved only so you could be a piece of church furniture. Amen. What, what do I mean by that? God didn't save any one of us with his eternal redemption and his love and his blood and his mercy for us to just be a a piece, a corner piece of a pretty table in the corner of heaven. God saved us so that we could be an intricate, worked out piece of the puzzle so that you and I can be a contributing factor to the message of the gospel, and to the body of Christ. See, you and I have been saved for a reason. I'm going to plow this thing really deep today. Here's the thing I want you to understand, dear people of God. When we were saved, Jesus could have immediately called us up to the throne room of heaven, but he didn't. He left us here on this earth for a purpose. 
And I know that you and I want to go to the sweet by and by. We sing about it. We write about it. We talk about it. But the truth is, is that when we got saved, we didn't go straight to the sweet by and by. He left us down here in the nasty now and now. And you and I have to live our lives as long as God has numbered and ordained our days. And so the question is, we've got to find our purpose. What were we saved for? Were we saved just to breathe? Were we saved just to come to church? Were we saved just to sit in a class and just to do this or do that? I want to tell you that there's an exciting life in God. And that life in God can be found in Christ. And so today, I want to talk to you from a deep subject as we begin to look at what does it mean to be saved and why we're saved. In our background, Deuteronomy chapter 6, you might be asking the question, why did you choose this passage talking about salvation? Isn't salvation an Old Testament concept or a New Testament concept? Yes, it is, although the term saved was used in the Old Testament, it's used in a slightly different way. There's a slightly different connotation But the truth is, is that what we can see in the Old Testament is a picture of God's reality for us in the cross and after the cross and after the resurrection of Jesus. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is talking to the children of God. And you've got to understand the whole background here as we're looking at this. The children of Israel were in Egyptian bondage and slavery for like 400 long years They had wound up in this place and they went from being the people of God to being in bondage. And now they're in a place that they were never ever designed to be. They were God's people. They were God's chosen people. But now they found themselves in captivity in a strange place under a strange master doing strange things. They were in a place called Egypt. Exodus begins to outline to us what happened to the children of Israel. And the Bible says that the more that they were afflicted, the more that they increased. And Pharaoh constantly was trying to redevise a plan on how to put his thumb under the people of God. So as we look at this, we see God raises up Moses, who was a nobody. Moses, in and of himself, had not the credentials to be able to do anything for God. But yet, God doesn't choose the most qualified. Sometimes he chooses the most available. And I wonder this morning if there are people in this room that God wants to use that you've kept putting the snooze button on God. And I'm telling you, if he can find somebody who's available, he will oftentimes jump over the person who's the most qualified. And here he finds his shepherd in the backside of a field tending his father-in-law Jethro's sheep and God calls out from a burning bush. You've got to understand, in the heat of the desert, it was not uncommon A lot of times we think about the miracle of the bush being the bush was on fire. That wasn't the miracle. That actually wasn't uncommon. I don't know if you ever heard about something called spontaneous combustion, but it's a real thing. And it it can get so hot in certain places, and the chemicals can be just right that something can spark and ignite a fire with no open flame source. So out in the middle of the wilderness where there's no, no, no water or anything like that, it wouldn't be super uncommon. But what was the miracle about this bush was that the Bible says that it was on fire, yet it wasn't consumed. It didn't burn up like all the other bushes. And besides that, there's a voice, an audible voice coming out from among this bush saying, Moses, Moses. And the Bible says he came aside to see this great thing. And the voice spoke out to him and said, Moses, kick off your shoes for the place you're standing 
is holy ground. And he said, I've heard the cries of my people coming up out of Egypt. And Moses, I'm calling you to deliver my people. And I want you to go to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell that, that, that devil Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses had some issues. You know the story. And, and Moses begins to give all the excuses on why he can't do what God has called him to do. Well, Lord, I'm slow of speech and da-da-da. And, and, and besides that, I don't even know who you are. So when I tell him, who do I need to tell him sent me? And God spoke back to Moses and he says, when he asks you who sent you, you tell him I am sent me. God raised up Aaron as a helper and a mouthpiece to Moses. Moses goes in to the children of Israel. And Pharaoh has them building bricks, baking bricks. Much like the modern day slavery brick kilns in Pakistan where they enslave children. Even to this day, they take, uh, they take the children from the parents when they owe a debt. And they have to make these bricks. And anytime they get close to their quota, they increase it so they can never exceed it. So they're in lifetimes of slavery. Almost an exact parallel. And it's sad because Pharaoh is trying to oppress them. Why? Because Pharaoh wants the glory. Pharaoh wants the worship. He wants to be the object of people's adoration. And so he's doing his best to put his thumbs on the people of God. But the people of God prayed. And when they prayed, God heard them. Aren't you glad that when the people of God pray, God still hears us even today? Hallelujah. And if the answer that you need is not where you are, God can speak to a Moses from outside of the camp. Hallelujah. To come in and to help bring the victory that you need. And so what do we see? We see that uh, Moses comes and there's this dueling, uh, uh, just, just, just duel, this, this right out brawl between him and Pharaoh. And the Bible talks about the plagues of Egypt. And there was uh, locusts, and there was hailstorms, and there was darkness. And I, I remember the Bible says in, in Exodus that the land was struck with darkness, but the Bible said that there was light in Goshen, though. And I want you to know something. When the world still has darkness and pestilence and craziness going on, God still knows how to differentiate between Egypt and Goshen. Come on, somebody. He still knows how to make no plague come nigh your dwelling. He's the Psalm 91 God. But here's what happened. The end of these plagues, God said, when the death angel passes over that night, I want you to take a lamb of the firstborn. I want you to take it, every lamb for every house. And he said, I want you to make sure it's a spotless lamb. And I want you to take the blood and put it over the doorpost and the lintels of the house. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you on this night. And, and the Bible says that they girded up their loins and their shoes and they put them on and each one took off and they left out from Egypt into the wilderness, headed to a place called the promised land. Everybody say the promised land. They're heading towards the promised land. It is the land that is flowing with milk and honey. Uh, to this point, they have been eating, uh, you know, uh, leeks and onions and, and garlic and all these things that they had in Egypt to eat and fish. And, and, and now God's promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. The children of Israel are literally destined like the Jeffersons. Does anybody ever remember that show from the late 70s and 80s? The Jeffersons, you remember? He said, moving on up. They were getting ready to move out of the hood into the promised land. They were getting ready to go to some next level living. 
And, and guess what? When they went into the wilderness, they came to obstacles. They came to the Red Sea. And the Red Sea looked like insurmountable. But God caused Moses to use his staff and to part the Red Sea. And they came across on dry ground, baptizing the enemies of God in the judgment of the Red Sea. Then they got, went from that place and they, they got to the waters of Marah. The waters were bitter. God found a tree, put it in there, made them sweet. He gave them uh, manna to eat in the wilderness. They got tired of the manna, so he gave them quail. God supernaturally began to get them to the place that they needed to be. From Egypt to the promised land. Now, here's the thing I want you to see. It took a night for the Lord to get them out of Egypt. But it took a whole lot of time to get Egypt out of them. Theologians tell us they were delayed in the amount of time it took them to get to the promised land, not because of God's will or God's purpose, but because of their own mentality. You know what the scripture says? They kept going around the same old mountain. Same old mountain. I mean, you know, have you ever been driving and you lost your way? I know I have in a, in a city or something like that, and you get turned around and you start saying things like this. We've seen that before. Honey, I've seen that sign before. That tree looks the same. And, and I'm going to tell you, sometimes it's like that, isn't it? We go around in circles in life, and, and God wants to get us out from where we are, and we're going in the same old circles. And finally, the Lord says, you've circled this mountain long enough. Turn northward and advance. And so they begin to go, and they finally get to the place, and they send the spies, you know that story, and they send the spies in and see if they're able to do it, if God had already told them they could take the land, and, and there were giants there and big grapes and all of those things. But the point that I'm trying to make to you today, this morning, is this, is that God's desire was for them to get out of Egypt into the place of a promise. It was a place that was better than where they were living. So this morning, Moses is telling us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 20. Look at it again with me. Because you've got to understand that in Jewish tradition, much of what they did relied upon the oral traditions of passing down from generation to generation. And so it was a big thing. And so all of the feasts of Israel... Passover and, you know, the Feast of Tabernacles and all of those things, they were, they were times of great storytelling. And they would tell the story. Anybody in this room ha had a grandmother or grandfather who's passed away that you miss dearly? Raise your hand. Come on. How many of you remember the stories they used to tell? They used to tell the stories of how when they grew up and how hamburgers cost a quarter and a Coke cost a nickel and how they walked back and forth to the school in the snow, both ways, uphill, barefoot, right? And we say, man, Grandma, are you going to tell that story again? Grandpa, are you going to tell that story again? It was that way with my grandparents. But that was the tradition of a Jewish home. And God ordained all of these times, these set times, these moedims, the Hebrew calls them, that they would sit around and they would tell the story over and over again. Why? Because they didn't want the story to get lost from generation to generation. Basically, what I'm trying to say is this, is that in the Jewish culture, they thought it was important 
to tell the story. And so notice this. Moses is telling them, all right, verse 20, when your son comes to you in the time to come, and he says, Mom, Dad, why are y'all living like this? Why are we doing this? Why are we reading these scriptures? Why are we eating this food? Why are we acting like this? Why are we singing the song of Moses? Why are we doing these things? He says, then you look at your son and you tell him, the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his righteous right hand. And he brought us out. And he brought us out of there that he might bring us in to the land which he swore to our fathers. And that's why we exerb to do all that he's told us to do because it will be righteousness unto us. See, if you're taking notes this morning, the very first thing that I want to tell you as we buzz through this quickly is this. Number one, we're saved to tell it. We are saved to tell it. I want you to notice this, that it's commanded of the people of God, according to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that when your children come and say, Mom, Dad, Grandma, Grandpa, why are you living like this? You tell them, because the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Folks, here's what I'm trying to say. When people ask you, why do you live like this? We've got to tell them what Jesus has done for us. Hallelujah. Church, you've got to understand, this indicates something. You know, he says, when your son asks you. Everybody say, when your son asks you. The connotation is a young son. The connotation is a young son would live in your house. They would see how you live. They would see how you walk. They would see how you dressed. They would see how you talk to one another. In other words, here's what do, uh, Moses is trying to say, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. Listen, the storytelling of your family begins in your house. Here's what he's trying to say. Your kids ought to notice a difference about how you live. You don't live like every other parent. You don't live like every other person. There's something different about you. Why? Because there's got to be a difference in how we live. We're saved to tell it. Here's what I would tell you. Our faith should not be for show, but it should be visible. Your faith should not be for show, but it should be visible. In other words, we don't, we don't do things as a put-on we don't do things to say how spiritual we are. You know, you go to Walmart sometimes, you see somebody that has been in church in a few weeks, and you say, hey, how are you, sister? I'm blessed and highly favored. Hallelujah. All of a sudden, using all these church words you hadn't used in three weeks. That's a show. That's a show. Our faith should not be a show, but it should be visible. What do I mean by that? In how you talk to the person at the cash register. In how you respond when a person says, I hope you have a happy holiday. And you respond, God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. It ought to be visible in how we tip the waitress at the restaurant. Come on, somebody. Our faith ought to be visible on how we live day-to-day lives. But regardless, we're saved to tell our story. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, question for you. When's the last time you pulled your kids in and you told them your testimony about how you got saved? What the Lord delivered you from. How he brought you out. How your family has gotten to the place where you are right now. I tell you, one of the ways that our Christian faith is being lost from generation to generation is a failure to pass down what God has done. 
One of the most tragic verses in the Bibles, in the last chapter of the book of Judges, the Bible says, And another generation arose after them who knew not the Lord, neither the things, everybody say the things, nor the things that he had done in Israel. You know why they didn't know the things? Because the generation before them stopped telling the things. Amen? It's important for you and I to tell our faith story to others. We have been called to tell it. Listen, I, I'm just so convinced right now that some, I know many of you's character, you're good, you're good people, you're godly people, you've been saved, you've been living for Jesus for a long time, you've been coming to church, but here's the truth, the devil is not going to tempt us all the same way. Temptation comes to everybody, but temptation is not the same for everybody. What do I mean by that? Here's, here's what I'm going to tell you this morning. There's some of you in this room, the devil will never tempt you with a crack pipe. But you know what he will tempt you to do? He'll tempt you to stand in the back of the building and keep your mouth quiet and not give God some praise. He'll tempt you to not open your mouth around your loved ones when they are doing their stuff and you have an opportunity to share Jesus. Come on, somebody. If the devil can't get you to be bad, then he'll get you to be busy. Busy doing everything that God has not called you to do. I tell you. All you need is about 10 people who say, you know what? I'm going to be excited about telling my story to other people because it matters. Amen? You say, Pastor, how does that equate to the New Testament? I'm glad you asked. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense or an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The Bible calls that being ready in season and out of season. When somebody asks you about your faith or why you believe in God or why do you go to church or why do you do this, then you know what? you got to be ready to tell the story. When your family members say, hey, we want you to come do this, and you say, I can't do that. It's on Sunday. And they say, well, why, why can't you come to, to our house on Sunday? Or can't you stay home on Sunday? You can tell them that because this is what we do to honor God. Come on, somebody. What if church was the reason we missed everything else? Sorry, coach, we can't play. We have church today. Sorry, folks, we can't come watch a movie. We got church tonight. Hallelujah. Always be ready to tell the hope that is within your hearts. But not just that, folks. Number two, are you ready for this one? Here we are. We're not just saved to tell it. We are saved to tell it. Telling it is important. But God doesn't just want us to tell it. Number two, we've been saved to possess it. We've been saved to possess it. And I want you to notice I emphasized it at the end of it. It, because there's something to possess. It is the abundant life that we have in Christ Jesus. Verse 23 says that when, you, when, the, when the day comes and your son says, why are you doing this? He says, you tell him, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. But verse 23 says this, he brought us out from there that he might bring us into the place that he swore to our fathers as it is unto this day. See, God didn't just save Israel to, be, to come out of Egypt and to just leave them in the wilderness. Clueless, hopeless, wandering around. 
And I want you to know that just like God didn't call the children of Israel out of Egypt to leave them hopeless, aimless, and wandering around, God didn't call you out of the world and and into his glorious kingdom just so you could be lost and wandering around. He brought you out of something so he could bring you into something. There's a glorious life in Christ. Folks, I want you to know that there's a whole new exciting life on the other side of your deliverance. There's a whole new exciting life on the other side of your deliverance. Here's what John 10.10 says. The thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that I might have life and life more abundantly. If I were to survey you this morning and ask you, well, who is the thief in John 10? Most of us would say the devil. And I will tell you that, yes, the devil does steal. He does kill. And he does destroy. But the context of that scripture is not talking about Satan. In the context of that scripture, Jesus said, My sheep know my voice, and that of a stranger they won't follow. I am the door of the sheep, and nobody comes into the sheepfold except through me. He said, But all who come in any other way, they are thieves and robbers. Jesus was speaking about the religious mindsets of the Sadducees and the Pharisees who attempted to have a relationship with God without going through Jesus Christ, without having a real relationship with God. Jesus said, Anything outside of a relationship with me it steals it kills and it destroys but Jesus said when you truly meet me the shepherd the good shepherd who loves the sheep who lays his life down for the sheep when you truly know who I am he said I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly church I want you to know something that salvation is not a sad life salvation is not a boring life salvation is a good life it's not a life that's without heartaches. It's not a life that's, with touched, uh, that's not touched by the problems of the world. That's not it at all. But the truth is, is that life in Christ is so exciting that literally I get to lay my life down for His. Folks, we live in a first world, and in the first world we have first world problems. And I referenced in the beginning of my message today that I believe Christian people ought to be the most happiest people on the face of the planet. God's been good to us. He's blessed us. He's helped us. He's encouraged us. Even in all the stuff that we've had to go through in life. Listen, I'm telling you, God has been good. That's why we can't afford to be offended. You can't afford to be bitter. You can't afford to hold on to things that are poisoning the stream of your heart. You can't afford to hang on to those things. But yet, in the world and in the church, there seem to be so many people who proclaim to be Christians who don't have any joy. Folks, let me tell you something. In the world in which we're living in today, you and I, have it pretty good as Christians in America. I didn't say your life was without problems. I didn't say you didn't have people sick in your family or you have a child not serving God. Those are things that touch humanity, all of humanity. But I'm saying as a Christian in America, it's not that bad. I'm just going to be honest with you. In America, the biggest problem most Christians have is that their Wi-Fi won't connect to their iPhone. Or you can't get your Netflix or your Hulu account to play. But you know, there are people in Pakistan, in Iran, 
and in uh, Muslim-dominated countries of the world who are giving their lives at the stake for Jesus Christ and doing it according to the Fox's Book of Martyrs with smiles on their face, singing the songs of the church, not recounting the God who saved them. Church, you know why they can do that? Because they possess something. They possess life. They possess salvation. They possess a person. And that person is Jesus. Because Jesus said, whom the Son, if they have the Son, they have life. And I'm telling you, you may not be rich in the world's wealth. You may not have thousands of dollars and hundreds of thousands of stock options. And you may not have all of those things. And bless you if you do, they're not wrong. But I'm telling you, that's not what makes a person rich. Because the richest person materially in this world is poor if they don't have Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I'm telling you, as long as I have Jesus, I have everything. There's joy in the Lord. Romans says the kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. David said it like this. He says, in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is a position. It's a fruit. It's a Habakkuk praise. It's a yet kind of praise. I love Habakkuk. He said, if the fig trees don't bear their fruit, I will yet praise them. Oh, I want to know, is there any people who have enough of God on the inside of you? You're a possessor of the life of God. Now listen, no matter what the world throws your way, no matter what darkness or shadows may come, like the song said today, it is well with my soul because I know whose I am and I know who I am and I know whom I'm in. Hallelujah. And I know that everything is going to be all right. We're saved to possess it. And number three, I'm getting ready to close this morning. Number three, we're not only saved to possess it, but we're saved to live it. We're saved to live it. Notice what he said in verse 24 and 25. Then the Lord commanded us to observe all these statues, to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all of these commandments before the Lord our God that he has commanded us. Notice this, that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he goes through a progression. We've been saved to tell it, pass the story down. We've been saved to possess it. We need to take hold of the abundant life in Christ. But number three, we've been called to live it goes back to the first part of our story in Deuteronomy 6.20. When the days come, your children ask, why do we do these things? Because we've been saved to live it. Notice what he says here. Look at verse 24 with me. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statues and to fear the Lord our God. Stop right there. We need to teach our children to fear God. They fear the bully at school. They fear their first experiences that they have in life. But we need to teach them to fear God. 
And fear is not, not, not the fear that you think of at Halloween. It's a reverent fear. It's a, you are God in heaven and I'm here on earth, so let my words be few kind of fear. It's not a casual relationship, but it's holy. He said that we might fear the Lord our God. And then notice what he says, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Stop right there. When you get saved, God has all these things, right? We would say they're the do's and the do nots. And we like to focus on the do nots. Man, God's a fuddy-duddy, man. Why, why does he say we, he doesn't want us to be drunk? Why does, why does, why does he tell us not to commit adultery? Well, why, why, does he, why does he tell us that, that we have to keep the Sabbath holy? Why, why, why do we have to do that? Well, the Bible says he tells you to keep those things for your good so that he might preserve you alive. Do you know why God doesn't want people to commit adultery? Because of what it does to the individuals and what it does to the families? Do you know why the Bible preaches so hard against drunkenness? Because have you ever done a study in the Bible? There's only like two positive references to wine in the Bible. Give a man strong drink when he's perishing and the parable at the wedding feast. Everything else is incest, rape, rage, murder, killing, everything. Because he knows what it does to people. Have you ever noticed why God says in the Word of God to forgive others? Because he knows what unforgiveness does to you. And see, we ought to stop looking at God's Word as God's trying to keep us from having fun. No, the truth is, he's trying to bring us into the abundant life. He's trying to bring us into the place where we're in the safe arms of God. And he doesn't want us to do those things, not because of he's just not fun or anything like that, because he's like any other father. He knows how certain things hurt his creation. And so he says, don't do it. He says, it'll keep us alive all of these days. And then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe these things before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. I want you to think about this this morning as we get ready to close. Most Jewish boys, by the time they're the age of 13, can quote by memory in Hebrew the five, first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the books of Moses. They start teaching them when they're little, little, little. One of the things they do is they take honey and they make little treats that are shaped like scrolls and they do little things that bring attachments to their learning like Pavlo's dog. Ring the bell, his mouth starts salivating. They do little things like that to where when they think about the Word of God, they think about it being sweet to them. And it, then it becomes a blessing it doesn't become a burden. And folks, I'm telling you today, part of the saved life is not only telling it, it's not only possessing it, but it's living it.
because I want you to notice it was the living it part that the children asked, what does this mean? And I want you to know today, I know it's 2021, almost 2022. How could we ever even think that's possible? And I know times have changed and haircuts have changed and cars have changed and architectural building structures have changed and methods have changed but there is one thing that is for certain God's word has not changed it has not changed and I want to leave you with this final scripture today everybody's standing across this room 1 Peter 1 verse 15 through 16 notice this but as he who called you is holy also be holy in all of your what? Your conduct. Because it's written, be holy, for I am holy. So does God care how I live? He does. He does. He doesn't command you to be a robot or to be perfect or to never mess up or anything like that. But God says, if you want to live according to the way that I've called you to live, be holy. I am holy. Keep his commandments. And you'll have a legacy to pass on to your children. I'm leaving you with this charge today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Young people, this is not for you. This part is not. This this part right here is for everybody that has children or grandchildren. If you've not done this or you've never done this, I want to encourage you to start today. The next opportunity that comes around, I want you to gather your children and your grandchildren together, and I want you to tell them, you know, Mama and Papa, we, we do this. Here's why we make y'all go to church with us when you're at our house on the weekend. Here's why you see us put a dollar or a check in the offering. Here's why you see us lift our hands when we worship God. Here's why you see us singing from our row. Here's why you see us come down to the altar and pray. Because when I was a little girl, when I was a little boy, I asked Jesus into my life. Or when I was a teenager, I was away from God. And, and, and I was sinning and I was doing things that I shouldn't have done. Or, you know, I had a child out of wedlock and, and I wasn't doing the right thing. See, sometimes I think that we don't want to tell our story to our children because it might encourage them to do what we did. But the truth is, I think sometimes our lack of transparency hurts us. And we need to let them learn from our mistakes. Maybe not all the gory details, but enough where they get the picture because realize this is why we do this. Because the Lord brought us out of Egypt. And had the Lord brought us not out of Egypt, we would have died in that place. And I want you to know something, folks. If the Lord hadn't saved you, you would have died and bust hell wide open. But praise Jesus for the shed blood of Christ and His redemption and the forgiveness of His sin. I'm so thankful that He decided that I was worthy to be saved and didn't have to endure that. That's why I tell it. That's why I'm striving to possess it. Because if he died for me to have it, then I want it. Hallelujah. But I'm also going to do my best to live for him. Because if Jesus can die for me, the best I can do is live for him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody looking around in this place. Jesus, I thank you 
for your goodness in this place today. Father, I thank you for what you have done. I thank you for who you are and what you're doing. And Lord, today, first of all, I pray this simple prayer that if there be a person in this room under the sound of my voice and they don't know you and they don't have a relationship with you, they don't know about that abundant life that I'm talking about today, then Lord, I pray right now you would convict their hearts and you would help them in this moment to find hope and to find peace and joy. So with nobody looking around, I always give this opportunity because I just simply don't know. I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I went home this afternoon and didn't give somebody in this place the opportunity to have a, a, a renewed relationship with Jesus Christ. So before I move on to the next thing that I'm going to do this morning, I need to ask the question, if you're here today and you don't know Christ and you would like to know Him today, I want you to just raise your hand. Come on, just that simple today. I want to wait on you. If you don't know Jesus, I'm waiting on you. Hallelujah. Come on, if you're here today, I just want you to raise it high. Hallelujah. I'm waiting on you for just a moment. Hallelujah. Just raise it high. If you're watching online, just communicate with us and somebody will respond to you in a chat this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The next thing I want to ask this morning is this. For those of you who have children and grandchildren, maybe nieces and nephews, how many of you in this room this morning who are saved, you say, Pastor Brad, I want to be a legacy maker. I want to be a legacy maker. I want to pass down my testimony. I want to pass down the faithfulness of God to my family. I want to tell of the miracles of healings and salvations and deliverances and and increase. I want to tell of the faithfulness of our almighty God today. And I want to help kickstart a generation under us so they don't lose the message that's been entrusted to us. Come on. If that's you, I want you to slip up your hand right now in this place. Pastor Brad, I want to be a legacy maker. Hands up all over this room. This morning, here's what I'm simply going to do. I'm going to ask the Lord to help you develop your testimony. I'm going to be honest with you. You should be able to share your testimony in just a couple of minutes. Because guess what? When you find somebody on the street... They may not have hours and hours and hours to sit and talk to you. I want to encourage each person in this room to develop your testimony. You can share it in a few, in a few moments, in a few sentences. And I want to ask you to take the opportunity to share about the goodness of God. And I'm going to tell you what will happen. When you start doing that, the first time it's going to be nerve-wracking. The second time, your knees might be a little weak. But with every time, you'll grow a little bit more bold to the point to where you won't be nervous to share your testimony. Because here's what I understand. Most people in here, I don't think you're ashamed of Jesus. I just think maybe you're nervous. And if you just step out a little bit at a time, the Holy Spirit can give you boldness to share. And guess what? I'm going to be honest with you. Your family some of the hardest people you ever share with. You know why? Because they see how you live. 
Let's pray together.